0: We've been going over the Gospel of Mark, and from last week what we saw is Jesus he feeds the thousands uh, out of just a couple loaves and a few fish and actually this is the second time he does this miracle so he's kind of plagiarizing himself and what we realize about why he does something uh, something like this is because of how easily we forget God in our own lives we're prone to forget and so you would think that The second time that Jesus does this miracle, the disciples would finally start to understand. Well, let's see what happens here. Uh, Our passage today comes from Mark chapter 8, verse 14 through 26. And for those of you who are able, can you please stand and rise with me for the reading of God's word today? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. Now they had forgotten, surprise, surprise, to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have you, having eyes, do you not see, and ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 7. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. Would you join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer? Um, Jesus, We ask in the ways that we are so blind to your spiritual truths that your Holy Spirit would gently remove some of the obstacles that stand in the way. Help us to see clearly you, Jesus. Help us to see clearly the signs of your kingdom and what you're doing. Help us to see. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So my kid has been begging us for this game called Minecraft. I don't know if you're aware of it, but for a whole year he's been asking, and each time he asks, we tell him the percentage of how close he is. So we'll start him at 50%, and the next day he'll ask again, and we'll bump him up to 75, and then the next day he'll ask, and maybe he might do something a little annoying, so we'll bump him back down to 50%. And he's been really persistent about this game. And he finally got it for his birthday, and as he's playing this game, you, like, create your own little worlds and stuff. And he got so enamored in this video game. And as he stops playing, he asked me this question. He says, Appa, would you rather like to live in a possible world or an impossible world? Which one do you choose, impossible or possible? And I said to him, impossible, of course. Because the possible world that I live in is full of angry politics It's the possible world that I live in, it leaves trash in beautiful places like Lake Tahoe. The possible world makes us look at every scandal, every heartbreak, and every lie, and we look at all those things and say, I'm not even surprised anymore. That's the possible world. See, for my kid, I asked him, which world do you choose? And he said, I choose the possible one. I thought, why? Because according to him in his video game, the possible world is this uh, version called the creator world where you can literally do anything and you create waterfalls and you, you create little creatures and he thinks anything is possible in the, a possible world. But the impossible one's full of challenges. I thought it's interesting how his mind works as a child. The thing is, we all long for the impossible world, the new heavens and new earth, Signs of God's kingdom, that it truly exists. That with everything that is broken, everything that we see, an impossible world, we can only dare to dream of what it would be like. That maybe all the brokenness can be undone. This is what makes life possible. That there truly is something more that there truly is something more than this here and now, something beyond what our mere eyes can see. We just have to know what to look for. We just have to know what to look for here. We're going to think about three things here in this passage. Bread, blind, and beholding. Bread, blind, and beholding. Let's look at the first part, bread. All of us from time to time, we've run out of the house in a rush, maybe for an errand or work, only to realize that you forgot your wallet or your phone or maybe your laptop. And, you know, when you realize this too late, it's a little bit frustrating, but you've committed to their, your commute already. So, you know, the feeling that you get is you're a little bit vulnerable. You, you kind of feel like you don't have your armor on you because you depend on those things so much. And, but then you just have to move on with it, anyways. You take an L, a loss for your day, and you just hope things don't entirely spiral out of control. That's what the disciples are feeling here. They forget to bring bread. And notice the detail in verse 14. They only had one loaf with them. One loaf. This must have been heavy on their minds because it's such an insignificant detail. But for the disciples, that's all they can think about. Because I'm thinking what the disciples are thinking, that what if Jesus asks us to feed people again? What if he asks us to feed people again? We only have one loaf left. And so there they are in this boat, staring at this one loaf, absolutely silent, can't take their eyes off their own failure. And they're hoping to themselves, shh, don't let the Messiah know, let's just all stay quiet. And yet Jesus cuts into the attention out of nowhere. Verse 15, watch out. Beware of the leaving of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And now the disciples start to bicker. You know, Peter, you're, you're the leader. You should have had the foresight that this was coming. How come you didn't save us some bread? No, 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 John, it's your fault. You're the quiet one. You like doing the behind-the-scenes work. You should have been doing this. This is in, in your wheelhouse. And as they're bickering and arguing, they're they're probably thinking in their mind, look, we failed Jesus. He he wants to start his uh, bakery empire. He He's trying to get in the bread game and trying to take 85 degrees in Paris get baguette by storm. And now we just have this one loaf. We only got this one loaf. And Jesus seems to think, why are you talking about bread? It seemed like during the pandemic, everyone became a secret baker of some sorts. You know, like sourdough starter being passed around and King Arthur flour bread. It was like, you know, hunting for diamonds because it was so scarce at that time. And I got to baking too. Um, And there's just something therapeutic about playing with the dough and shaping it and watching the bread rise. Because during that time, as the world literally stopped, so did all our ambitions, so did so many of our plans and dreams. That baking bread, we just needed to see a reminder that at least something is happening. Something is rising to feed and sustain us. When God changed the world of the Israelites, that he took them out of Egyptian slavery, they celebrated a feast called the Passover. But what people forget about is that there was also another feast following the, after that called the Feast of Unleaven, Unleavened Bread here in Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, where the people of God would eat unleavened bread for seven days as a way of reminder that they ate their bread in haste as God freed them. See, instead of the yeast, the active ingredient is that, that gave rise to their freedom is none other than God himself. And the same God will give rise to our dead bodies in sin and death. That was the gracious promise. Philip Reichen put it this way, that the main problem is not getting out of Egypt, but getting the Egypt out of Israel. Leave-in is a metaphor for contamination. See, as Jesus says, why are you discussing that uh, that you have no bread? He reminds the disciples, like, did you not witness the fact that I fed thousands a few weeks ago? And not just a few weeks, a couple hours ago. I provided bread. You had a basket full of leftovers to stuff you. I can create bread to stuff you for the rest of your life. This is not about bread. Believe in, you have to pay attention to, because it's all about influence. What's influencing you? See, the leaven of the Pharisees, they demanded a sign. Meaning, unless God showed up in a certain way on our terms, then we won't believe in him. While the leaven of Herod was all about power, and if you're powerful, you can just do whatever you want even if it means uh, marrying your niece or or cutting off the head of John the Baptist. That's what that represented, leaving of Herod. I was sharing with a good friend of mine how I really love Costco buttered croissants. I don't know if you guys are a fan either, but for $5, you get 12 of those babies. And it's, it's so delicious. And like, the sad uh, the sad part is you know when you get these croissants you eat like a couple of them but like if you don't store in the fridge you begin to see mold form on them quite quickly actually and even though it's just one speck of mold i just have to toss the rest of the bread away it's like a sad day for me and my friend was telling me like hey he tells me why don't you just pluck off the mold that's what i do and i still the bread's still fine after that and then we all kind of like stopped and we let him know like The whole bread is moldy. If if there's just even one little speck, it affects the whole thing, and he just found this out in his 50s, and that's the thing. Just a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. That's the problem with leaven that Jesus is talking about. Just a little affects the whole bread. This is what Jesus is getting at. Beware of your cultural influences how they influence you, and how they ultimately influence your view of God. Because it just takes a little bit. I can go on uh, many different influences in our lives, but I'm just going to focus on one thing, and it's just this right here. Consumerism. I'm being consumerist. On average, the average American spends $444 a year buying things, while they're intoxicated. It's called drunk shopping. It's a $45 billion industry, right? Because you need to be buzzed to buy Crocs and stuff like that, right? No no offense, I I, I like Crocs too. We're mindlessly buying things. It's gotten to the point where the Worldwide Fund for Nature found out that the average person also consumes about 5 grams of plastic every week five grams every week to give you a comparison of what that is one credit card one credit card we consume a week because of our consumer ways we're literally poisoning ourselves with what we consume it just takes a little leave in church is no different back when I was doing youth ministry there's this uh, one kid after service, he'd complain how there was no food that one Sunday. And he'd be so, uh, you know, kind of like over dramatic about it. And, you know, it, it affects the whole entire group. And he's saying, ah, oh, there's no food. There's no food. And then one of the seniors kind of like lovingly came by and grabbed him around the uh, neck with his arms. And he lovingly told him, we don't come to church for food. We come to church for God. It was such a great lesson. I feel like in front of my eyes. But that's what consumerism can do. A little leave affects the whole lump. And the only way to get rid of such influences, the bad leave is only when we consume the word of God daily as our daily bread. It's the only way to help us from becoming blind. Second point here. If I'm, about, and if I'm honest about Jesus' situation right here, um, I will be incredibly frustrated. I think we all would be. Like the fact that the disciples still don't get it. It's like teaching the blind how to see color. And on this note, Jesus meets a man that perfectly sums up the spiritual state of his disciples. Because in verse 22, you read that they brought to him a man who was blind, blind, and begged him, Jesus, to touch him. The thing about blindness back then in the Old Testament, or uh, yeah, the the thing about blindness back then is that it was considered the ultimate disaster because you literally had to depend on the mercy of someone else for everything in your life. You had to depend on uh, the mercy of someone for everything in your life. And in the Old Testament, Levitical law said it specified caring for the blind in your community because that's how hopeless of a situation it was. And in the Old Testament itself, there is no miracle ever recorded about the blind receiving their sight. It's never been done before. It is a hopeless situation. Yet here is this blind man at the mercy of Jesus' hands who follows him out to a, a, a place away from the crowd, like a little child holding a parent's hand. My daughter had this scary dream and she said, this giant foot followed her into the bathroom. And ever since then, she can't be in a room in the, in, in any room by herself. She's always got to have mom or dad with her. And like in the bathroom, especially, she's got to see that we're in the doorway or like when we're going downstairs, she'll tug on to our shirts to make sure that we don't take off. And the thing is, at first I thought it was kind of cute, but, but now it's a little much, you know, the cleanliness. But I realized the cleanliness is exactly how we're supposed to be. To depend on God wholeheartedly, like a little child clinging. That's what we're called to do. We think that ignorance is what makes you blind. But ignorance isn't what makes you blind. It's when your sense of mystery disappears. That's when you become blind. The Pharisees demanded a sign from God, give us more evidence, give us more proof. And yet, Jesus is standing right in front of them, and they cannot see him. They can't see Jesus in plain sight. These guys are smart. They know every period and comma to the Bible, but they cannot see God in Jesus. Einstein put it this way, that any fool can know, but the point is to understand. Any fool can know, but the point is to understand. And the posture of understanding is not that of an expert, but of a child that just holds on to God. At the mercy of Jesus' hand, the blind man follows. And you imagine in the background, there's like dramatic music anticipating some sort of miracle. And at the climax of whether or not Jesus can make this happen, Jesus spits in this man's eyes. Do you see anything? Spits in this man's eyes. The fact that Jesus didn't even tell the man to open his eyes must mean he already had them open to begin with. And now he's got this saliva gooping in his eyes, and he he can see, he can see, but it's not exactly clear. The people, they look like trees. It's like the miracle half worked. Half worked. Maybe, maybe Jesus didn't put enough spit into his eyes. Or maybe Jesus didn't pray hard enough. Or this is exactly what faith looks like. That sometimes you could see something, but not entirely. As a kid, I, I, I thought glasses looked really cool, so I'd... Uh, Every time, I, it, it, I thought like glasses automatically looked you a little bit more sophisticated and wiser. So I'd always be glued to the TV, looking up close on purpose so that my eyesight would get worse. My parents would tell me not to, but I still did it anyways. And as you can see, my wishes came true. And it's the most annoying thing ever to wear my glasses all the time. Every year, the words seem smaller. The world gets more blurry at night as I drive. It forces me to think about my age every year because of this eyesight. I talked to this friend, and I, I made some small talk, and they were in their late 20s, and we were talking about exercise and fitness and how to age well. And then he kind of like turns to me dead serious, and he tells me, oh, you know, once, once you hit 30, it's, it's kind of all over for you. Your, your, your metabolism slows down and, and um, your recovery time is exponentially longer. There's research and articles about this. No matter how much you exercise, it's done for you after your 30s. I couldn't feel good about myself at that point. That was the small talk, but I felt like I was talking to the Grim Reaper. But as I think about age, right, it forces me also to think about future. Like, what's in, there, in it for me in the future if this is, you know, just kind of like um, the trajectory I'm going in? If I can only see the future a little bit better, maybe I'd be more at ease. David Brooks, he's this writer, he wrote this article about how there's these upper-middle-class upper professionals who are entering into retirement, and they're starting this program to help them to adjust into retirement life. And what he found out about this program is how people, he's finding a phenomenon on how people retiring out of uh, of these upper middle class jobs, how they still don't know what they want. After enjoying some of the things that you would want to enjoy during retirement, um, vacationing or leisure time, uh, they said it often gets dull and unfulfilling. One senior executive said this, that he feels retirement and death and that he fears retirement more than death. And Brooks put it this way, for an age where you think you know what you want, yet these people are thrown back into the fundamental questions of who am I? What is my purpose? What do I really want? And do I really still matter? Do I really still matter? And what he observed about the people in this program is how the people that were most fulfilled were doing acts of service for their communities and how they could have such joy in doing small little things. That one of the CEOs was kind of grieving the fact, I can't believe I was missing out on this the whole time. But isn't that why Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve? because out of everyone that I am curious about, was Jesus not worried about his thirties? That what would he have to show for it? Was he not worried about how he will be remembered? He owned no home. He died single. He didn't accumulate great wealth. And yet how is it that this man has outjoyed the entire universe. Maybe perhaps he's not crazy. Maybe perhaps he beholds something far better, far more than just our mere mortal eyes can behold. He sees the new heavens, and that's what he wants us to behold together. Which brings us to the last point here, beholding. This life and now, it's it's okay. It's good. It's okay to enjoy it. It's just not ultimate. It's just not ultimate. Episcopal minister Robert Farrar Capon, he put it this way. Why do we marry? Why do we take friends and lovers? Why give ourselves to music, paintings, chemistry, and cooking? Out of the simple delight and the resident goodness of of creation of course but out of more than that too half half earth's gorgeousness lies hidden in the glimpse in the glimpsed city it longs to become End quote. i love that quote it's about beholding heaven treasuring that in our lives where the prophet Isaiah only dared to dream that when the day of the Lord comes in Isaiah 29:18, that out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. To which Jesus picks up on, that as he lays his hands on the man's eyes again, he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. The impossible became possible, that there will be a day where our faith will turn into sight to behold the glimpses, the glories of what Jesus was looking at all along. Until then, we still wipe the spit in our eyes of some of the senseless cruelties, pains, that we still endure on this life and sometimes there's also tears that makes it a little bit blurry to be able to see everything. We have to wipe that out too. Before Kathy's grandpa passed away, I was able to pay my last respects to him in his nursing home. At this point he can't speak, can't really really remember anyone, so I don't even know if he even remembers me, it was just me and him and he, him in his wheelchair, and um, I, I just, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I opened up Psalm 23, started reading the Bible to him, and I started to pray for him. And for some reason, I was praying for him. I couldn't stop crying, you know, I just couldn't stop. Part of me was sad, but the other part of me was scared for him in that moment as I was crying he musters up all this energy and kind of sits straight up in his wheelchair and he simply says Amos he said my name this guy should not remember my name I've met him a couple times his mind's not all there but for some reason he remembered my name It was almost as if, at least this is my interpretation, that heaven was touching his mind for that brief moment. And he just wanted to let me know, Amos, I'm going to be okay. And so are you. So are you. That no matter how blurry your vision in this world may be about God, about what he's doing in your life, and you just can't understand anything that he's doing, there's a gentle hand being placed upon you, letting you know that even though you can't understand, can't see everything, all you have to know is this. You'll be okay. Because with his other hands, Jesus places them on the cross. They're bloodied because he is uh, because as we're prone to shut the door of the possibility that something like heaven could even exist, it's impossible, and we want to shut the door on God so desperately. And yet here is Jesus uh, with his hands placing them in the way to making sure the door is still kept open for us, the new heavens and new earth. That Jesus refuses to shut those doors completely. That he wedges his hands in on the cosmic doors of hope so that you can finally one day, one day, see what he was talking about all along. And it's for that sheer fact, life is made possible. Pray with me.